0: morning everybody hope you're all well happy summer yeah all right it's officially here at least calendar wise anyway we are uh, we started a series last week Father's Day how cool was that Father's Day with all the different voices all the different dads sharing different things that was awesome yeah let's hear it for those all of those guys if you guys missed it you're gonna want to check it out online um, so we have started this Vibrant series, and today I'm going to get to talk to you about one of my expert areas. Um, this I think this might be the area that I'm best at, so really I hope you're ready. So we're going to talk about Vibrant strength today, but that's not my greatest strength. My greatest area of expertise is weakness, so I get to talk about that. I don't know about you, but... I got a feeling you you probably have some areas uh, of weakness as well. Maybe not. If not, share the love with the rest of us. But uh, let me give you a little bit bit of a backdrop. We're going to pick up the Apostle Paul, um, and he's he's writing a letter to Corinth to the church in Corinth. Corinth, kind of imagine the United States when it's really up and to the right. Corinth is a thriving community at this point. It is a successful place. Uh, It is young. It is vibrant. There's a a lot of stuff going on. There's a ton of opportunity happening. And along with that, in the early church, uh, there's a lot of opportunity. And because there is this insatiable desire for advancement, for success, for strength and power... The church in Corinth begins to look at some of the leaders, and they they kind of create some heroes out of some leaders, um, some apostles that Paul refers to as super apostles, and he says it in uh, kind of a cynical way to shoot a shot across the bow at the church. They want their apostles to be successful. They want them to be amazing. They want them to be doing well in every area. They want them to present this, this desire that the gospel just brings everything up into the right. And it's into the midst of that that the Apostle Paul starts to be questioned, literally, by the church in Corinth. They start to question. We We don't have time to cover it all, but they begin to say, you know you're not so much when you're in person. You're, you're, your letters are pretty weighty, but in person, you're not much. And they begin to cut Paul down in different ways. And Paul, um, who has been really a, a critical component to the early church's thriving, and certainly to the church in Corinth's thriving, n- knows that it's time to do, teach a lesson that's critical uh, to teach. Now, Paul... Uh, could defend himself, Uh, and if it were me or you, we would probably defend ourselves uh, a little bit differently, perhaps, than Paul does. Because Paul's got a lot to talk about, right? Paul can talk about all of his successes in ministries, how much is happening through the miracles that are happening in his ministry and that. But Paul, amazingly, takes a whole different posture, and he reorients the conversation in as he sees people that are just they're just power hungry, strength hungry, even in the church. And he says, you need to realize that no matter how amazing anybody is, the power and the strength comes from Christ. And into that we, we thrust ourselves in this portion of Scripture, and it is amazing. That Paul, in, in defense of his own apostleship, in his desire to grow people up, begins to speak about his own weakness. And that it's in his weakness that God does his best work. Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 18, he says, So many, or since many boast according to human standards, I will also boast. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I am talking like a madman. I am, I am a better one with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless floggings, often near death. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked, for a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and in hardship, Through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, and besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. A.W. Tozer says this, he said, Christianity takes for granted the absence of any self-help and offers a power which is nothing less than the power of God. See, God's power, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, is made perfect in our weakness. It was in that scenario, just shortly after this, it's actually a continuum of this conversation, where Paul, after going to God again and again and again for an infirmity in his own life, receives from God the word that God's grace is sufficient for him and for us. For power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, so I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul viewed an embrace of weakness as ultimately an embrace of God's power and strength. By being vulnerable, he realized that he and we open ourselves up to God's supernatural power and strength in our life. In his or our weakness, he depended on God's strength. Weakness, literally, Paul says, was the source of God's abiding place of power. See, Paul could have talked about a lot of amazing things in his life. But as you read through the letter, you find that Paul talks about, he reminds them, yes, I'm not really impressive physically. I haven't wowed you with my financial prowess because I've actually got a second job. I'm also a tent maker. Because I have literally decided at times to not take money when I could have had money. You've referred to it yourself as that I'm not really eloquent. I really don't have a lot of worldly success as the world standards go. And yes, I am not one of those super apostles. See, the goal isn't to live in weakness. The goal is to embrace weakness so that God's power the, the end game is God's power being released in our life, right? So I have an acronym for power. P, the first, is power. See, power is not about formulas and programs. It's not about this systematic thing in our life, necessarily. It's about us making ourselves available, Paul says, as a vessel before God, a conduit, a vehicle of God's power, God's strength in our life. I don't know about you, but after you have, once you give your life to Christ, after you've Been serving God about ten minutes, you realize that the gospel is not one plus one equals two in your life. Have you noticed that? It's not just this. It's not just this program that happens in our life. Many times, it's like God's view of the kingdom is so much bigger than I can even embrace in one lifetime. Right? I remember um, when Claire and I, we when we've talked before about our son Paul. Uh, we found out early in Claire's pregnancy that Paul was probably, our son Paul was not, probably not going to uh, live long, uh, if he even lived till birth. Uh, and in the midst of that, the church that we were a part of, we went on a 52-day fast. It was kind of based on the book of Nehemiah, 52-day 50 day fast. And at the center of that prayer and fasting was we were praying, the whole congregation uh, in the Detroit area that we were a part of, we were praying for God to do a miracle For us, for Paul, our son, to have him healed. At the end of 52 days, Paul was not healed. One plus one didn't equal two. There were times in that 52 days where it felt like we just got to get to the end of 52 days. And then this is all going to shift. But what did happen was there was a pornographic theater. It was like the first one that had been placed in that part of the Detroit area. It was a real blight on the community. It was right center of town. And you know what happened in 52 days? On the 52nd day, a wrecking ball went right through the front of that pornographic theater. It was awesome. It was not a coincidence. It was not a mistake. One plus one didn't equal two, but the porno theater came down. God's plans are bigger. God's power is released in our weakness. And we all know that early on. We begin to realize that, you know, not everything that we're in pursuit of in our weakness, sometimes God does something much more powerful or different powerful than we're expecting. The scripture tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways. God is at work in our lives at all times. That's what Paul communicates here. The O is for ordinary and uneducated. I love this. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13, after John and Peter are going about in the early church shortly after Jesus is uh, ascended into heaven, the day of Pentecost has already happened, miracles are starting to occur. John and Peter lay hands on a guy. He's healed. There's all kinds of commotion. There's hundreds and... Hundreds of people that are coming to faith in Christ, and there 's all of these religious leaders, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the, all of these teachers of the law, and they 're watching this, and in verse thirteen it says, "Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized they were just uneducated and ordinary men. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I so relate to this, just an uneducated, ordinary man." And they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. See, God's kingdom is much bigger than you and I. God's work requires God's strength and power released in us and beyond us. God's kingdom is far beyond what you and I could do in our natural strength. God uses ordinary, uneducated people. At the end of your limit is where God begins his best work. See, the problem, if we're not careful, is Paul encourages us to remember our weakness. Did you ever notice how driven we are as a culture, for instance, to lead by resume? I was, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was getting ready to uh, have an appointment with somebody, and they wanted, like, they wanted, I felt like they wanted my curriculum vitae, and one of the questions was, you know, uh, something about education. I just said, you know, still learning, it's like I get tired of that, right? It's like, why does that matter? I'm almost, I don't want to say I'm almost dead, but I'm old, right? I'm almost, it's like I, we're all learning till we're done, right? Why are we so driven? Even in the church, we lead by resume. We have to be careful that we're not always leading by our place of strength. And I would say this, we all have places of strength. And they're gifts of God, they're talents that God has placed in your life. But you and I, the places of strength in our life should be the places of greatest humility and prayer. If you want to pray for yourself, pray around the strengths of your life. Because those are the places of temptation. Paul's temptation, or Paul's temptation here had to be, I'm just going to share my resume about what an amazing person I am. But he doesn't do that. He backs down from all of his great personal talents and he reorients the conversation because that's the place the enemy is trying to get involved in your life. He wants you to rely on yourself. He wants you to cut God out of the equation. Remember years ago, it wasn't too long after I gave my life to Christ, I always kind of prided myself on being like, that's a problem, right? I kind of prided myself on being a really patient person, like a patient dad, a patient husband, patient friend, patient son, patient brother. There's people that might disagree with me, like, you know, all of the people I just mentioned. But anyway, I thought I was patient, right? And then I came to this place. It was like I really felt it was a strength in my life. And I I honestly came to this place as a young father that it was like I felt like I couldn't be patient to save my life. Like the littlest thing started to really bug me. It just was like driving me wild. And I'll never forget spending some time in prayer around this. I just said, God, I don't know what's going on in my life. Like what has come so easy for me is all of a sudden so hard. And God began to speak to me around this principle, around this issue. Scott, this is a place of strength in your life, but I want it to be a place of greater strength. And you have come to the end of your strength on it. And I wanted you to know that there is a place beyond this, but it has to involve me. See, Paul shows us clearly here that reliance and dependence on ourselves is a dead end. A friend, uh, a, an acquaintance of ours actually that pastors in another part of the country uh, actually wrote a book around uh, one of the, this, this issue. He was pastoring in a church, co-lead pastoring with a friend of his. Church is kind of up and to the right. It was growing amazingly well. It was becoming one of those churches in the country that was like exemplary for growth and good things going on. And he said, I remember after an Easter service... He said there were all kinds of people that got baptized, all kinds of people that gave their life to Christ. And he said it had been an exhausting few days, but it was amazing what was going on. The church was just growing. It was mind-boggling what was going on. And he said, I was sitting in the green room with the worship pastor, the worship leader in our church, and we looked at each other and said, we are so good at this that we don't even need God to make this happen. And he said it was that moment that he realized his life needed to shift. See, the place of our greatest strength can become the place of greatest danger. We have got to be careful with our desire to not only pursue celebrity, but to also enthrone celebrity. We have to be careful that not the ends doesn't always justify the means. We can't just throw at the end of the sentence, well, wouldn't God want it this way? God wants us a way. God wants to form His power and His strength in us and through us, which comes to the W, weakness. See, weakness can lead to extraordinary places of displays of power. Think about it in Scripture. Think about the people of Scripture. And think about the the multitude of weaknesses. Think about... Moses the stutterer or Paul's thorn in the flesh or what he just talked about. Think about Mary, just the inadequacy of being so young with the humongous responsibility she had. People like Ruth and Esther. How about the widow that has just almost nothing and how she extravagantly is generous? Think about the early church. Ordinary ignorant people. Little influence, little resource, little training, least impressive bunch of people you could probably gather, and the world changes. Think about David. David at one point is living his life hiding from Saul, and then he gathers a group of broken, really felonious people in a cave, in a doolum, and God begins to do tremendous work through David's life. Think about the woman that is hemorrhaging or the woman at the well who a whole community would come to know God in the midst of her inadequacy relationally and brokenness. How about Jonah and Job? I mean, just catalog it. And even in this room, there's people that have gone through bankruptcies and betrayals and problems with their children and maybe living in some of these things right now. Problems with their family. Uh, persecutions, false accusations, some have suffered accidents, some have had moral breakdowns and lived into dead ends and relational struggles, ended dreams, closed doors, lack of opportunities at times, challenges beyond measure, life-devastating de- doctor's reports, layoffs, firings, injuries. These are the places for God's power and strength to show up in our life. A couple weeks ago, I was sitting down with a guy that was telling me he, he had gotten like his dream job. He had kind of been forming his career to get into this dream position, and then he finally realized it, and it was a nightmare. And for a few years, it was just so much stress, so much pressure. He was being falsely accused of things. So the thing that he felt like was a dream was just torturous, He didn't think about trying to get another job because he was just trying to get the job that he had. He was trying to get it on track and make it work well. Finally, it came to the place where he was so unjustifiably treated unfairly and fired that he didn't have any choice. He was devastated. It was... Midst of that, at the end of that torturous time, that God opened up a door and a space to him. And he told me uh, boldly a few weeks ago, he said, I am living, as far as my career goes, in the best spot I have ever been. God moved him into a different position, opened up another door, and he says, You know what? If I wouldn't have gone through that other process, I would have never even tried this door. And God's power and strength has been shown through my devastating season. The E is the end of our rope. Dallas Willard says this. He said, God's address is at the end of your rope. Some of us have a lot of addresses. The truth about most of us is we were awakened to the end of our rope, and that's when we gave our life to Christ. That's my story. As a young person, I came to this place where I was trying to do everything on my own strength and then finally realized this rope's not long enough for the life I want to live. And it was at the end of that rope that I turned to God. Claire and I gave our lives to Christ at the end of a rope. Our friend Adele Calhoun, in one of her books, uh, says this about this comment that Willard makes. So when Willard says... God's address is at the end of your rope. What he means is God shows up when you realize you are not sufficient for all of your life. In fact, the sooner you realize that you aren't sufficient, you place yourself in a better place to actually grow. R is simply to realize. It's interesting how many scriptures are so upside down How many times did Jesus say stuff that's just so hard to wrap your mind around that the first would be last and you know don't seek out the best spot at the banqueting table Paul has this discourse I'm paying attention How many times does the scripture remind us that bigger is not always better bigger is not always bad but bigger is not always better we live in a culture in a world that is telling us the only way to succeed is it always has to get bigger but john the baptist said this in john 3:30 he said he meaning god he must increase but i must decrease See, we all face the trap, the temptation of building our own kingdom. You see it in pastor world, but it's in all of our worlds. Like, pastor world is one of the worlds that I live in, right? You see it happen. It's the thing that pastors, we have to pay attention to because, for instance, even as a church... There's, there's the responsibility of reaching the lost, preaching the gospel to those that are outside of communion with God at this point. And it's our responsibility to proclaim that. So it makes sense that there should be people coming to Christ, right? But it's interesting, some of the things that we uh, talk about and joke around about, for instance, is um, it's not real often, for instance, and I'm not picking on anybody except myself, It's not real often, for instance, that you see pastors, when they move from one church to another, that they go to a smaller church. It's always God's will that it's a bigger church, because God's will somehow is never to go to a smaller place. When you go to conferences about church planting... At some point, the conversation is going to be the population of the city that you're going to needs to be a certain amount because it only makes sense if you're trying to catch more fish. You go where there's more fish to catch. You go to the bigger stage. You don't gravitate toward the smaller place. It just doesn't seem like God is so concerned because there's not enough people in those places. So we go to cities that aren't below a certain number. We go to cities where there's certain income averages. We go to places where we can target a certain demographic. And listen, I'm not saying that that's always wrong. But what I am saying is it's not always God. Bigger is not always better. And we find ourselves functioning like the world. See, this was what Paul was speaking into. Paul was speaking into the Corinthians' propensity, like our propensity as a culture is, to want superstar leaders. And we have strategies. And strategies are not evil, they're neutral. But you need to make sure that they don't become evil. That the pursuit isn't something that God Isn't about. One of the things that I've always loved about Crossroads is the organic way it started. We have said, and it's so true, we did everything wrong. Like, if there's a manual, which there kind of is a manual on church planting, we violated everything. Like, no money, no, no launch team, no, no spending years to pray around it. It's just like, whoopee! And here we are. In our weakness, God begins to make himself strong. And his power is shown in our weakness. I remember the first building we were uh, renting, one of the schools, and we left. Like, we literally left. It was like the flight to Egypt. I mean, we were like Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. One night we decided, because we were told we decided by the school board, they said, we're going to do construction on that building. You're in a different building next week. We didn't put a sign out to tell anybody. There had to be people knocking on the door that next Sunday like, where are they? It was either the rapture or they were really as bad as we thought. I mean, we did nothing right. We had no phone list. We didn't call anybody. It was terrible. We did everything wrong. God does everything right, doesn't he? See, yeah, and it's the same in your life and in my life, which brings us to this play. See, the goal is not that I would just be weaker and weaker and do things so that I show myself more and more weak and that you would do that to show yourself more and more weak, but I do believe that sometimes we have to get out of the way and take intentional decreases intentional steps of weakness in order to make space for God's power and strength in our life. See, this is what serving and volunteering is about. It makes space in my life when I serve and volunteer for God to do something. I am decreasing the time and some of the energy that I have in my own life to offer that to God so that God can do the work that only God can do through me. Giving attention and space to the least of these, to people that we wouldn't necessarily want to pay attention to. That gives space for God to work miracles in every person that he loves when we give attention to that. Divesting some of my power. Money is power. We've all heard that. One of the things that you do when you participate in an offering, you are making space for God's miraculous power and strength in your life. That's why some of you so are fixed on the fact that when I give, you know, when you give, that that gives a place for God to do a miracle. You sow a seed. What you're doing is you're saying, I am making myself intentionally more weak. I am divesting what I have as a resource so that God has more room to do more in my life awesome stuff. See, generosity with my time, my talents, my resources becomes opportunity for God's power and strength. This is the story of the widow's might. She comes up, she gives her last couple of pennies, and we're talking about it here over a couple thousand years later. Which leads me just to a question for all of us as we pull this together and we head back into our lives, into our lives that have weaknesses and inadequacies and shortages and places where we end. We all have end-of-the-rope places in our life. But I think the question for all of us, because we've all been able to at some level experience the power and strength of God, is simply this. What weakness can I embrace to experience God's power and strength? Why don't we stand and let's read this together and then I just want you to sit with this question this week and pay attention to the sound of your own life. Where where can you make more space for God's power and strength to be revealed in you and through you? Let's say it together. What weakness can I embrace to experience God's power and strength. So God, even now as we stand before you, we're we're encouraged by the fact that our weakness is a place of your power release, your strength in our life. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. So I pray for each one of us as we go into this week. Pray that you'd meet us in these spots of weaknesses, and even as we begin to consider new places, perhaps that we can open up more space where we can be a little bit more vulnerable, vulnerable for your power to reside through our lives. We ask that you'd be with us. So I bless my friends. I bless their weak. Bless they'd. Experience experience the overwhelming, ever-enduring strength and power of God on this day and into this week. Every weakness is a space for you, God. In Jesus' name, I bless my friends. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a tremendous week in these hands and multiply God all that I am ever-